All right, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. And you're here today on a special day because we get to start a new chapter. And we don't do that a whole, whole lot. So a new chapter, Matthew 23. And this entire chapter, if you want to go ahead and look ahead at, at, at the 39 verses, and, and most of the verses here are in red. I think the first verse is the only one that it wouldn't be in red, which means these are the words that Jesus spoke. So this is a sermon that Jesus is preaching here. This is the fifth sermon in Matthew that he preaches and this sermon here is his last public sermon. He'll give a few, this is the last week of his life, he'll give a few private sermons uh, to the disciples. But this is the last one that he'll be standing in the temple and, and talking to a large crowd of people. This is his last public sermon. And as, as you look at these words, and I've read over this sermon here many times, just uh, over and over and over. And I, I, when I put it together, I said, how would I describe this sermon? And this, is, this will be the title of the sermon today. I think it's the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke. It's the harshest words or the strongest words that you'll ever see Jesus speak in the entire gospel. And we've got to ask ourselves two questions as we jump into this and we get ready to read it. If these are the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke, we need to know who he spoke them to and why. Would these words be aimed at us in our own personal lives today? So who did he speak these words to and why? So as we read this, I want you to answer that question. Would these be words that he's speaking to me today? So let's, let's stand together and we'll look at this, this passage. And I want to read verses 1 through 12. And I want to show you the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke. And I want to start again in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12, just to get ourselves started with this sermon. It'll take us uh, quite a while to get through all 39 verses, so we just want to get, the, get us started here with the first 12 today. The harshest words Jesus ever spoke. So starting in verse 1, it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to the disciples, saying, And you tell me if you think these are harsh. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All there, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say, and they do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And they love the uppermost rooms at the feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for there is one Father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for there is, is your, one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted." These are rough words, tough words from Jesus. He pulls no punches here at all. He's calling out a group of people for a particular sin. So we need to hear these today. Everybody in here needs to hear the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke. So let's pray together and we'll study these, these verses. Father, we uh, come to these hard words. And they are. These, these are not fun words to study, to preach, to hear. Uh, none of us like this. We want to hear the good words, the easy words. We want to be patted on the back and told that we're doing good, but that's not these words. So God, help me to have the right tone and the right heart as I preach these things. These, these are hard. And help us, God, to hear them well. Because I think this is a sermon, this sermon that Jesus preaches here is something that he wanted the disciples to hear and something he wanted all of us throughout church history to hear because there's a great warning here for all of us. 
So teach us these things. Help us to understand them. And God, I'll go ahead and say it. Rid us of any religious hypocrisy. Don't let it have a place in our church or in our lives. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This may sound strange to some of you, especially in in our day that we're living in, when everybody has to have some sense of equality and everybody treated in an equal way. But again, this may sound strange, but Jesus did not treat everyone in the same way. Jesus spoke to people in different ways. He didn't talk to everybody in the same way. It's almost as if Jesus had, if you read through the Gospels, and we have, it's almost as if Jesus had two voices. He had one voice that was very kind, a voice that was gentle, a voice that would lift you up and encourage you, a voice that would invite you, and a voice that was very loving and and tender. And I think we love that voice, and I think we want to hear that voice. And I think some of the sermons that you preach when you come to those voices are are just just the the, the best sermons that you can ever preach because people are just sitting there, and it's it's great to hear that voice of Jesus when he's when he's just inviting and loving and tender and caring. It's almost like he's got the the voice of a of a shepherd drawing his his people in and everybody just loves that tender voice of Jesus but he had another voice a different voice with a different tone and and an entirely different vocabulary it's like me when I speak to my kids. I, I've got a voice with my kids where I, I love them and I'm, I'm very kind and encouraging and, and they'll go to ball games and they'll, they'll walk off the field and I'll say, I, I think you did just a, a great job and I'm very proud of you. But then old daddy has a different voice too. Just like Jesus. And this, this different voice is tough. This voice is strong and it's, it's critical and it's, uh, I heard a commentary this week that, that said it's almost scathing language that, that Jesus cuts no slack and he, and he doesn't back off and he says things like, you're of your father, the devil. And he says things that, that uh, as he's overturning tables and you've turned my father's house into a, a den of thieves. Harsh words, hard words. And I don't think any of us like these. I mean, if my kids had the option of, of the, which voice they wanted to hear from their dad, I love you and you're doing a great job. Or you're doing terrible and you need a whipping. <laughs> which voice do you think they'd want? Jesus has those two voices. He has the voice of a, of a shepherd with his sheep, but he also has the voice of a shepherd running away the wolves. So he has both of these voices, and, and if we're looking at this passage today, you say, which voice is it? You tell me. As, we, as we're reading this, and, and we can go on down, verse 13, he says, woe, you, you hypocrites. Verse 14, woe, you hypocrites. Verse 15, woe, you hypocrites. Verse 17, you fools and you blind, you serpents, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, which voice do you think it is? Is it the loving and, and tender voice, or is this the voice of criticism? And condemnation. Jesus here gives us the harsh voice, the, the strong voice. And you've got to ask this question. And we ask it at the beginning. Who are these words to? And why? I'll go ahead and tell you. These words are not to notorious sinners. These words are not to the woman caught in adultery. He didn't speak to the, to the woman caught in adultery like this. He, he told her to go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, neither do they. Go and, and don't sin anymore. To the woman who was uh, the Samaritan woman at the well who had been married six times and she's now living with the seventh. He, he was easy with her. He was kind to her. To Zacchaeus, one of the worst men who ever lived, 
He said, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. So it's not to the notorious sinners. Jesus left his harshest words to the most religious people of his day. If you see that there, this is the, the deeply religious crowd. These people that take religion very seriously, that they're the ones that are considered to be the, the best of the best. These are the, the, the teachers of the law, the leaders of the day. And he has his harshest words for the religious. And not just the religious, but the religious hypocrites. I think Jesus, I was going to title this sermon, The Sin That Jesus Hates the Most, because he can't stand hypocrisy. I read a quote by J.C. Ryle that said, how odious is the sin of hypocrisy in the eyes of our God. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking to a religious crowd who are mask wearers. And I'm not talking about a COVID mask. They're putting on a mask of religion every time they go to the temple and wearing it around and, and looking the part. But deep down on the inside, it's full of nothing but dead man's bones. They're, they're, they're lost on the inside and acting saved on the outside. So he's giving these strong, harsh words, calling out religious hypocrites. And I want to say this before we get into the points. This is something that we all need to hear. This is a, this is a danger for the disciples there, that as he leaves, he wants them to know, you better not be religious hypocrites. And then as history goes throughout the church, the danger in every Christian church is hypocrisy. So he's calling that out in very strong, harsh words so that we'll understand there's no place for hypocrisy in Christianity. And you might need to tweet that. There's no place for hypocrisy in Christianity. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. And I think this is a sin we're all guilty of. This is words that we all need to hear. I think the biggest complaint against the church in America today is that their pews are full of hypocrites. So we need to hear these words. We need to hear the harsh words of Jesus today. So let's look at this, and, and you guys know me, I've broken this down into to three points. The harshest words that Jesus ever spoke. I want to show you first of all, starting in verse 2, I want to show you the problem of hypocrisy. He, he makes it abundantly clear here what the problem is with hypocrisy. And I want to, you guys sitting there and you don't know what hypocrisy is. I'll show it to you. What a, what a hypocrite is. We'll see it here in, in these verses. The first thing he says in verse two, is he tells us who it is. Who are the hypocrites? He says the scribes and the Pharisees. We know these guys. They've been fighting Jesus for three years. These are the most religious people in the world at that time. These would be your churchgoers. These would be your people that would come to church and sit in the pews. They'd be there for Sunday school. They'd be there for Sunday morning. They'd be there Sunday night. They'd be there Wednesday night. They'd be there any day during the week when you had anything else going on. They were the ones that were always dressed up, always looked apart. Uh, you looked at them and thought, if anybody's right with God, it's that guy. It's these guys. It's that family. These were, in that culture, the best of the best. We may see them as the worst of the worst, but in that day, they were the best of the best. They, they were the, the good guys. So Jesus is calling out the good guys, the religious elite of the day. And he says they sit in Moses' seat. This is the highest seat of the day. This is, I want you to picture this as, I mean, you, you guys know this, we don't do it here, but a lot of churches you'll have the pulpit here, and you'll have a couple seats behind the pulpit. And sometimes you'll have a couple guys sitting in those seats, one on the left and, and one on the right. And in the temple, you had the, the chief seats, and they called it the Moses' seat. And, and when you sit down in that seat, you, know, you, you wasn't just 
sitting there to be seen. You had the authority of Moses himself. Absolute authority. They had position. They had power. They were over everybody. They could tell everybody what to do and what to believe. And everybody would listen and follow. Whatever they said, you had to do. And these, these guys were bigwigs in religion. And they'd get up and they'd teach, verse 3. That's who they were. Verse 3 is what they did. Look at verse 3. It says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. So they'd get up and teach. And Jesus says, When they teach, you listen to them. And you do what they say. And, and, it, and it's not just that, that you do everything they say, but when they get up and teach, and, and it's, it's according to the law and according to, to God's Word, you need to follow it. You need to listen to it. Everything they said wasn't bad. That's how it goes with a lot of false teachers. They'll, they'll say a little bit of bad with a little bit of good. So you don't throw all of it out. You don't throw all the, the, the baby out with the bathwater. You gotta, you gotta, uh, take, take the good and get rid of the bad. And that's what he's saying here. When they teach the law, when they teach of Moses, you take that and you obey that and you follow that and you listen to them when they teach the law. So he's, he's telling them that, that that's good. You observe it and you do it. But look what else they did. They didn't just teach the law. They would add to it. Are you, are you with me on that? When they teach the law, obey it. But when they add to it. And I, look at verse 4. Here's what they would do. They wouldn't just get up and teach the Bible. They would get up and they would add to the Bible. They would add to the law. They would add traditions. So it wasn't just truth, there was traditions added with it. And they would teach tradition, they would teach rituals, they would teach their religious activities. They were throwing more things at them than what the Bible said. And there were lots of it. Look what it says. They were bind heavy burdens. They were grievous to be born. And they laid on men's shoulders. So they were just throwing these things on people's shoulders. Laying it on people. A heavy burden that people couldn't bear and they couldn't follow. Picturing here a, a donkey. That's how they, they didn't have U-Hauls then. They didn't have pickup trucks then. So an Arab pickup truck was a donkey. And they would take it if they was going to move things. And they would, they would pile. I, I, I looked up pictures of it this week. They would take a donkey. They still do it today. They take a donkey and they just pile things on, on top of it. And some of them can go. I mean, I saw one this week that was 10 feet high. Just piled on top of this donkey. And the donkey swaying back and forth. And a, and a guy would walk alongside of it just to keep it from, from going one way or the other. It's a poor donkey. I mean, that, that thing just, just can't carry the load. Just, just, I mean, they're just piling it on top of them. He said, that's what these teachers are doing. They're just piling things on, on top of the people. They're telling them traditions. They're, they're telling them rituals. They're telling them what, how to marry and, and what to eat and, and what to wear and, and just the little bitty things and, and you have to do this and, and God is keeping score of every good thing you do and every bad thing you do. So everybody that come to listen to them was just overwhelmed with too much to do. They couldn't keep it all. Laying it on them. Jesus is showing how these scribes and Pharisees treated the people. With all these rules and regulations. With all these rituals and traditions. It was brutal. It was overwhelming. It was depressing. And it says they never lifted a finger to take one bit of that off of them. There was no grace. There was no mercy. There was no forgiveness. There was no rest. 
they wouldn't help them at all. This is a sermon that gets up and preaches that you're a sinner and never tells you there's a way to forgiveness. It's the worst thing in the world. There's no mercy. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. There's no, there's no rest. There's no taking the weight off. When we stand up to preach, we're going to tell you that you are a sinner, but we want to always say, here's the way to take that off so you don't walk out of here burdened. You walk out of here with rest for your soul. But they were just laying it on and laying it on. So they were teaching truth and they were teaching tradition and they were weighing down all the people. But that isn't the worst part. I'm getting to it right here. Verse 3, he says, but do not do what they do. He looks at the disciples and he said, I don't want you to be like them. Why? Because they say and they tell you what to do, but they don't do it. They preach the message but they don't practice the message they talk a big game but they don't walk a big game that is the very definition of a hypocrite one that will stand up and tell you how to live but when they walk out the door they don't live it he calls them here hypocrites they build a big house with their words and then tear down that house with their lives. That's called hypocrisy. And, and this is the warning that he gives here. This is, and I'm going to keep stating this, this is who they were. This was the religious elite of the day. They were a bunch of hypocrites who talked a big game but didn't walk it. And that is the biggest complaint I hear against the church today. That you don't live like you talk. And it's been that way in all ages. You see, you see it with children. You know where, where hypocrisy is seen the most? In the home. When you have parents that come to church and they dress the part and they talk the part and they sing the part, come thou fount of every blessing, and they give and then they walk out the church doors and you don't see them. But you know who sees them when they get in the car? They're children. So on Sunday, they act like they're going to heaven. But in the car after church on Sunday, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday not Sunday, they live like hell. And the kids see that, and, and, and they see nothing but hypocrisy from their parents, that they say one thing here, and they live another thing the next day. That, that's, a, that's a hypocrite. That, that, and even what they tell their kids, you need to do this, and you need, you need to do that, and then they go out and they don't do it. They do the exact opposite of it. And the worst thing you can tell your kids is, is don't do as I do, do as I say. That's what they were, that these guys were doing. They were getting up and telling everybody what to do, but they didn't lift one finger to do it themselves. They were hypocrites. And that's the world's greatest critique of the church. That we sit in the pew and pretend, and then we go out in the world and we do a, live completely different. And that's what Jesus is telling us here in, in these first verses. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't, don't do that. Don't, and I'm going to give you a list here and then we'll move on. But he says, don't, get this, don't be like them. And how, how is being like them today? Don't say you're a Christian. This is a warning to all of us. Don't call yourself a Christian and then go out there and use profanity left and right. You're just going to get called a hypocrite. Don't call yourself a Christian and be here on Sundays, but on Saturday night you're out getting drunk. That's a hypocrite. Don't call yourself a Christian. 
I wrote some of these things down. I didn't realize how much trouble I could get in with them. Don't call yourself a Christian and come to church and dress all nice and then you walk out these doors and you dress immodestly. Don't call yourself a Christian and come in here and sing praises to God and go out there and gossip on the telephone. Don't call yourself a Christian and come in here and say, love you, brother, and we're elbowing and we're fist bumping and we're not allowed to shake hands. But we do. And then go out, out there and hate your next door neighbor. Don't call yourself a Christian and call out homosexuality and say, got to keep the sanctity of marriage. How could our nation? And walk out these doors and commit adultery. Don't call yourself a Christian and sleep around. Don't call yourself a Christian and shack up. Don't call yourself a Christian and go out there and live like the rest of the world. You know what that's called? That's the problem that he's showing us here today. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing up here, Josh, and then go out there and live completely different. I have to watch myself. I'll say one thing up here, and then I'll go to the house, and my kids will look at me and say, Dad? Didn't you say? Didn't you say? Or say one thing up here and act one way at church and then go to a ball game and, and, and when the referee doesn't make the call on my kid that I want him to make. And I'm standing up, you know, I'm not preaching. Here's how to go to heaven. <laughs> you got to be careful. If you call yourself a Christian, you better act like a Christian. Or quit calling yourself a Christian. Because you're acting like a hypocrite. You guys are being quiet. Our words must match our deeds. And our walk needs to match our talk. Jesus says here, don't be like them. Don't be a hypocrite. So that's the problem of hypocrisy. And I know it's quiet. These are harsh words, are they not? I mean, this is, you guys would rather me, me give you the, the kind words. Just let's skip this and go into the, to the next chapter. We can't skip anything. So we... He gives us the problem here of hypocrisy. And then next, I want to show you, I like this one. He shows us the parade of hypocrisy. And you say, well, what's a parade? You tell me what a parade is. We went to a Little League parade just a few weeks ago. And, and all of our, you know how a parade goes. So they, they started way out in town and they worked their way down to the park. And me and Steph and, and the other kids were there. And Christian, being a Little League player, was walking through town. You know, he has union uniform on. And he had his cleats on. He's walking through town. And all those teams are there. And, and they parade them through town so everybody can see them. Me and Steph backed in, and we had our phones out, and we're like, small Christian, you know. Just, just, just. There he is. We, everybody wants to see. So watch how they, how they parade their hypocrisy. So everybody can see, and that's what he says there that in verse 5. He said, all that their works, they do. I like this. This is so important. Everything they did in a religious way, and it was a lot. They prayed, they fasted, they gave. You could go on and on and on and on. They did more than anybody else did. I said that. These would be the ones that were in church and they were the biggest givers and they were the greatest servants and they were doing everything in the church. But why did they do it? Watch this. All their works they do to be seen of men, to look good, to catch the eye of others. For appearance's sake, 
When they gave in Matthew 6, Jesus said they'd make the most noise. Offering plate gets passed and they, they, they get the change out so it would rattle. Ding, 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 ding. Look around, did you all hear that? I gave a lot. <laughs> to be seen of men. It's not about being seen of God. That, that God looks down and knows what you give and He knows your heart. They would give to be seen. To be heard. And then when they would fast, they, they, Jesus said, don't fast like that. When you fast, dress up, make yourself look good. No, 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 no. They'd walk around so pitiful. You know, I want everybody to know I'm fasting. I'm so super spiritual. When they prayed, they didn't pray in their closet. They'd go to the streets and they'd stand out and they'd pray big, long prayers so that everybody that heard it would say, wow, man, what a prayer. They did it to be seen of men. Their, their religion was not about God. It was not from the heart. It was not because they loved God. It was, I want to be seen. I want people <laughs> to think I'm great. That's what hypocrisy is. I want people to think I'm great. I worry more about what people think than I do what God thinks. That's hypocrisy. And what did they do? Let's just go down the list. What did they do to show off? What did they do to parade themselves? And you need to think about them parading themselves through the streets of, of Jerusalem. And here's, here's what they did. They dressed a certain way. They went a certain place. And they were called certain things. These guys would parade it, man. I mean, well, watch this. They did, they did all their works, all their religious activity to be seen of men. So here's what they would wear. They would make broad their phylacteries. <laughs> and they would enlarge the borders of their garments. You say, well, I've never done that. I don't even know what a phylactery is. Let alone, I'm going to broaden it. How would I do that? And I don't want to get into a whole lot of detail on what a phylactery is. I spent way too much time studying phylacteries this week. I had to learn how to say it. Type in Google, how do you say phylactery? <laughs> a phylactery was a little box. And they would take the box. And I watched a video on it. They still do it. They would, they would write scripture on paper. And they would take it and fold it up and put it in the box. And then they would take a rope and tie it to their hand and tie it around their forehead. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament, they just took it literally, that we ought to always have the Word of God on our, on our head and, and, and on our hands. But it wasn't talking about literally that you needed to do that. You just need to keep your mind on it and you need to live it. Know it and live it. That's, that's what, it, what it was saying. But instead, they'd take these boxes and they would rope them to their forehead. And they would have it tied to their hand. And usually they would do this just, just walking into the temple. They, they would sit there with the box and the box and they would go into the temple. But these guys, everywhere they went, they had the boxes. When you see phylactery, think of box. And it just wasn't that they had a little box. They just kept trying to get their boxes bigger and bigger. It's like a UPS truck bringing in an Amazon box. And they're just bringing it in bigger and bigger and bigger. What's in that? And the bigger the box, the better the... The Christian was, or, or the, the more religious you were. These guys walking around can't even see. They're running into walls because the box is too big on their forehead. And then they, and you know what people would say? Look at that guy. He knows scripture better than anybody. He's got it on his head. And he's got it in his hand. They're walking around like this right here. Say, so we don't do that. Oh, we parade our religiosity. We post it on Facebook, don't we? Get my church on. <laughs> to be seen of who? To get likes? 
Let's move on before I get myself in trouble. They enlarged their borders. You say, well, what does that mean? That means they made their robes longer. They wore these long, white, flowing robes. And it was said that they, their robes were so long that they would go all the way to the ground and it looked like they were gliding on air instead of walking. If you, if you had a small little man that would wear a size small, he would get an extra, extra large. The longer the, the robe, the longer the, the tassels at the end of the robe, the more religious you were. So they had these, these boxes on, and they had these clothes, and they just gliding through town, parading themselves. And the bigger the box and the longer the robe and the tassels, the more religious you were. And everybody would say, ooh, look at them. I'll move on. You ever you say, do anybody do that today? You ever seen a, a man with a long white robe with jewelry on and big funny hat with a scepter riding around in a Pope mobile? I just gave away who he is. <laughs> Why does he do that? You ever seen these guys with a backwards collar everywhere they go wanting to be seen? What's the places they went? Verse 6, and they loved the uppermost rooms of the feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. They went to the uppermost rooms. When they were invited to some place, they wanted to be the VIP. They wanted to be the, uh, the guest of honor. And, and they, they would always show up late. So when they would walk in the door, and they're going to go all the way up to the front and sit in the, in the front pew so everybody could see them. They'd walk in with, you know, they're, they're fashionably late, and they had their boxes on their foreheads and on their hands and their long flowing robes. And, and they'd walk into the place, and everybody would look at them as they walked in, and they'd take their seat in front of everybody so everybody could see them. I mean, they'd be ushered to their seat so that all eyes would be on them, center of attention. They're parading their religion in front of everybody. They wanted the top seats in the synagogue, little thrones in the, in the temple. And I like this last one. So you see what they wear, you see where they went. And as people saw them, here's what they called them. And they loved their greetings in the markets. And to be called of men, watch this, Rabbi, Rabbi. And then it goes on down to say Master and even Father. So they had these titles that they wanted everybody to call them. So they, the Rabbi there is Master Teacher or the most knowledgeable one. So it would be the, 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 they call him these names. And if you didn't call him by Rabbi, they'd jump on you. There's Rabbi, you gotta, you gotta call him Rabbi. Master would be leader. Father would be life giver. You know anybody in our culture today that wants to be called Father? You know what the term Pope means? It means Papa. These guys were on an ego trip, parading themselves around, wanting everybody to look at them. Catholics call their priests, Your Holiness, Your Excellency. Preachers call themselves Reverend, the most revered one. These guys are, again, we're on an ego trip. And it was ugly. And Jesus looked at this, and this is why he goes on a tirade against them. Because they, they were taking religion, a, a thing that was, should be pure and, and holy and right, and before the, the eyes of God. And they were making it something that, that to be seen of men. They were making it something so that, that it was all about them instead of being all about God. Religion should never be about me. It should always be about God. 
We ought to be repulsed by this hypocrisy. That men could defile a religion in such a way. And this is alive and well today. You say, there's no way it's alive and well in Catholicism. I've already mentioned the popes and their priests. All these big, high and mighty people that think they're better than everybody else. You have to go to them and they're the intermediary between you and God and you have to confess your sins to them and they wear the, the clothes and they, they have the titles of the most reverend one and the, 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 your holiness and, and father. I mean, this, this is a clear in the Bible that we're not to be doing these things. It's in Catholicism. It's in Mormonism. It's in seminaries. I've been to seminaries where you'd say, hey, Mr. Such and Such, and he'd say, call me doctor. <laughs> Sorry, you know. It's in churches, it's in pulpits, it's in here. You say, how do you know it's in here? We can know it's in here by asking one question. And I know I went through a lot of things, because you guys, you guys will say, I, I don't broaden my phylacteries, I don't enlarge my borders, I don't love the uppermost rooms. I mean, we're Baptists, we sit in the back of the church, we don't want to be up front for nothing. I mean, these pews, we've got one person sitting in them. That's it. We, we don't do this, Josh. No, nobody calls me rabbi. I don't make anybody call me master. Nobody's calling me uh, any of these names. I mean, we, we don't do this. This is, this is way back then. But it goes back to verse 5 with their motivation. They did all these things to be seen of men. They broadened their phylacteries and they, they enlarged their borders and they loved the uppermost rooms and they took these titles all so men would say they were great. That was their heart. That's the heart of hypocrisy. I want men to think I'm something I'm not. You say, is that me? And I had to ask myself that question today. Is it me? Is that me? Am I like that? How do we know? By asking one question. What's your motivation when you do what you do? Why do you do your religious activity? Because we don't do these religious things. We don't do that. But we come to church, don't we? Some people. Some more than others. But why do you come when you come? Do you come to church so others can see you? Or do you come to church to honor God? Ask yourself that question. Kids, do you come to church because your mom and dad make you and you want to please them? Or because you want to honor God? Husbands, this is a good one. Do you come to church because your wife says, get up, we're going. <laughs> and you want to please her and you want to have a good day. You know, happy wife, happy life. Or do you come because you know this is the place I need to be to honor my God? Do you do it because the pastor is going to call you later if you don't? I come so that the pastor doesn't text me this week. <laughs> I don't want to feel bad if he's going to jump on me because I'm not there. So in order for him not to call me, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to make sure he sees me. I'm here, I'm here, you know. I'm doing it for you and not for God. Why do you give? I mean, we're just getting to the heart of the matter here. When you put offering and money in the offering jar in the back, why are you doing it? It's, I, I'm not saying anybody has, but you go back there and say, well, I guess I need to get my offering this week. 
Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Got some extra change around the house. To be seen? Or because, God, you have blessed me so much. You've given me so much, and I just want to give back a portion of what you've given to me. I'm giving this to you. Why do you sing? Why do I preach? I've got to get to the heart of this. Do I get up here to preach so that when you walk out, you'll say, man, that was great, Josh. And I'm like, yeah, I know it was. Is that what I want? Do I preach so that I can get 25 shares and 1,000 views on Facebook? Or do I preach because that's what honors God? And this is the gift that he's given me, and I'm just doing what he's asked me to do. Is our religion done in a way that pleases in order to please man or in a way to please God. Because if it's done so that men will see me and brag on me and boast about me and think I'm great, our, our, our religious activity should never be, man, look how great such and such is. It should be, man, look how great God is. So is it to please man or to please self? Or, or to please God? True religion always aims to please God. Attention to God, notice God, never see me. Never see me. The old, old preachers in, in, in Puritan age used to make their pulpits bigger and bigger and bigger. So that, the, that man could hide behind the book. Today our pulpits are getting smaller and smaller and smaller so man can see man. So there's the parade of hypocrisy. I've got one more and we'll be done. We've seen the problem of hypocrisy. We've seen the parade of hypocrisy. I want to show you now the protection against hypocrisy. How can we keep from becoming hypocrites? And I think this is, this is excellent. The first thing he says there, but, so he's, he's transitioning. I, I don't want you to be like them. This is what you guys need to be like. So he's telling this to his disciples. That when, when I'm gone, you better not be like these religious hypocrites. When I'm gone, I better not look down from heaven and see you guys parading around in a robe with boxes on your forehead. I better not look down and see you with, with a Pope-like robe and necklace and a big old hat walking around in, robe, in Rome thinking you're something you're not. You guys don't be like that. Here's what you're to be like. Look, look at verse 8. He says, don't be called... Rabbi. I like that. We're going to go through the names. Don't be called rabbi. And again, that's teacher. That's the, that's the, the most knowledgeable one. Don't, don't do that because there's only one teacher and it's Christ. Don't do that. And I'll explain what this means in a second. And then he says, don't be called uh, father, which is life giver. Don't be called the one who gives life. There's only one Father, and He's the one in heaven. And He says in verse 10, don't be called masters. There's only one Master, and again, and it's Christ. He said, what does it mean by that? He's saying here, there's only one who's superior. There's only one that needs to be put on a pedestal. There's only one that needs to be exalted. Only one that gets the title. Only one gets the, the high seats. There's only one that is great, and it is God. And everybody else, this is so good, is equal. Look what he says. End of verse 8. And all ye are brethren. So there's one Father, there's one Lord, there's one Master, there's one Teacher, and He's above all and superior to all, and He's the one that we all look to, He's the one that we put up and that we worship and that we talk about and that we sing about. It's God, the Father who's in heaven, and, and, and Christ 
He's the one we look to. And everybody else in the, the church are brothers and sisters. We're all on the same level. There's no one superior in the church. There's, everyone is equal. No high class, no low class, all on the same level. Do not put anyone above the other. Some of the biggest problems in church is when you start putting people above where they need to be. Pastor's no better than you are. You're no lower than anybody else is. From the least to the, to the, I say the least to the least. We're all the least. We're all on the same level here. We don't have a, a pope and we don't have a, a father on, on earth. We don't have all these different levels of, of people that we, we put on a pedestal. We're all the same. We're all equal looking up to God. And then he goes on and says, and so do that. Don't put anybody above anybody. Don't put yourself above anybody. Don't think you're, yourself that you're better than anybody. And then he says, but he that is, verse 11, that he's greatest among you is your servant. You want to be great? Not in man's eyes, but in Christ's eyes. Don't be in the chief seats. Be served. Be a servant. Serve. Grab a towel. Wash some feet. Pour yourself out in service of others. And that's greatness in the eyes of Christ. Be a servant. That's what he's saying here. You don't want to be the one that's served. You don't want to be the one that's sitting up in the seats. You don't want to be the one that's in the front so that everybody can see you. You want to be the one that's in the back and you're serving and you're helping and you're pouring yourself out as a slave to Christ. That's true greatness. I don't want to be, I don't want to be lifted up. I want to be lower and lower and lower. The greatest title that we can have is not rabbi, is not master, is not father, it's servant. Paul, as he started most of his letters, would say, Paul, a slave of Christ. Paul could have easily have lifted himself up and said, Paul, the exalted one. <laughs> Paul, the great one. Paul, your excellency. Nobody was greater than Paul. And as he started his letters, he'd say, Paul. A slave of Jesus Christ. And you know what the greatest title that anybody could ever give me is? Minister. Servant. I had a guy in Appomattox one time when I first became a pastor at 27. I went to his house. Older man. Great man. I hadn't been a pastor in maybe a month. And I walked in and he looked at me and he said, Reverend. <laughs> Well, who are you talking to? And I told him, I said, don't call me reverend. You can call me anything you want to, but don't call me reverend. I don't want to be the reverend one. Just, just call me Josh. Call me dum-dum if you want to. Just don't call me reverend. Minister. Servant. The greatest isn't the one with the most titles or the most degrees. The greatest in, in God's eyes is the one who serves the most. And hypocrites are always too good to serve. Hypocrites are always too good to serve. That's somebody else's job. I want you to get that. That's, you think you're a hypocrite? You're always too good to serve. 
asked to do something. No, get somebody else to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm bigger than that. And you know who the greatest servant of all was? Christ, who said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. The greatest of all is the ones that are most like Christ. Last one, and I'm, I'm done. He says, you're all equal. You all need to be servants. And lastly, he says, you need to be humble. This, this, is, this is him telling, don't, don't be like a hypocrite. A hypocrite thinks they're better than everybody else. And Jesus says, no, they're all equal here. A hypocrite won't serve. He, he wants to be served. And, and he says here, no, no, you need to be a servant. So we're all equal. We're, we're all going to be serving each other. And if you have a church like that, you've got a good church. Where everybody is on the same level, nobody higher, nobody lower. When you have that, you got a, a great church that's not full of hypocrites. And you got a church where everybody serves. This is just the way that I serve by teaching and, and others serving in different ways. But we're all the same. We're all just servants of, of Jesus Christ. And we're all looking not to, to lift ourselves up. We're all looking to lower ourselves. Look what he says. And whoever will exalt himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So he's telling them here, and this is so good. It's not about climbing a ladder. It's not about stepping over people. It's not about pushing people to the side or cutting people down. If you do those sort of things, he will cut you down. And he will. Jesus is cutting them down here. He's bringing them down a notch. I, I didn't say this, but I'm going to say it now. These people that he's talking about are within earshot of Jesus. So he may be looking at them saying, don't wear boxes on your face like them guys. Look at the ropes. They're just doing that for show. Look at them walking around like they're, like they're surfing. Look at them. Bunch of hypocrites. They can hear it. He says, don't be like these guys. They're not humble. They're not servants. They think they're better than everybody else. Don't be them guys. No, that's not us. He says, we're going to be the humble. He that shall humble himself will be exalted. Get this. A hypocrite never lowers himself. A hypocrite's always trying to raise himself. You can always tell a Christian because they're always talking less and less of self and more and more of Christ. He must increase and I must decrease. The hypocrite's always higher and higher. A true Christian is less and less of me. Self gets smaller and smaller, lower and lower. How low can we go? We're always trying to outlower each other instead of Trying to step over each other. I can go lower than you can. I can be more humble than you can. I'm going lower. And that way, you'll be exalted. That's what he says. And I could give you example after example of people who have lowered themselves lower and lower and lower and lower. And in the end, Christ exalted them. I could give you Paul who lowered himself. He was one of these hypocrites. 
He was one. I, I bet. I bet you Paul had the boxes on his forehead and the box on his hands, and I, I bet he had the long robes, and I, I bet he loved the titles. I bet. I bet they called him rabbi. I mean, Paul was top of, of, of the level, but better than everybody. And I'm sure Paul walked around like like the greatest man there was, and then he was knocked off his high horse, and he was one of the most humble men you, you'd ever see in Scripture, servant of Jesus Christ, prisoner, and God exalted him to where we talk about him today. Humble men throughout history that have humbled themselves before God, serving in, in ways that you could never imagine, and God exalts them. But the greatest of all these, and I'm, I'm going to read this passage, and I've, I've, I've done it before, and you guys have heard it before, but it's one of my favorites. If you want to turn there, Philippians. Because he's given us a picture of Christ. He was the exact opposite of these religious hypocrites. I'm just going to read the passage. And then I'll, I'll close. But he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, Philippians 2, if there be any, if there, there, there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, and that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus, not the religious hypocrites. Jesus never took a title on himself. You understand that? He was always Jesus of Nazareth. He never asked anybody to say, Rabbi, be like Jesus. He didn't walk around with, with the, the boxes on him and, and, and the, the long robes. He was humble. Jesus didn't do what he did so that men would see him and think he was great. He did everything that he did for his Father in heaven. That's who we're to be like. He says, that, let, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Watch this, who being in the form of God. Which this whole verse in verse 6, and I've, I've preached it so many times. I bet you I've got three outlines in my Bible right here. I could preach it right now if you guys had time. But who being in the form of God. And this, this just takes him to the height of heights. That he is fully and truly divine. That he is, he is God in flesh. I mean, there's nobody any higher than that. The incarnate Son of God. But he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't hold on to it. He, he came into this world and made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, came empty-handed, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. You would think, I mean, when I, when I read this, when I preach it, I think, he, he come down, isn't that humble enough? Verse 8, he humbled himself again, and he, even more, and he, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Watch this. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a title. <laughs> yeah, see? You see what this is? He didn't take a title for himself here and he, he humbled himself and served. And God lifted him up and exalted him and gave him a title. Gave him a name which is above every name. That's music to our ears. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's as high as anybody could ever be exalted. Worldwide exaltation. He took himself lower than anybody ever went, and now God has exalted him higher than anybody ever will go. The lower you go and humble yourself, the higher he will exalt you. Our church ought to be a bunch of humble servants that is all equal across the board. Nobody higher than anybody. And when we do that, God will exalt us. J.C. Ryle said, He that would be great in the eyes of Christ must aim not to rule in the church, but to serve in the church. So we must hear this voice today. And I'm going to close. I know it's been different. This is, this, is a, this is a tough passage. The harshest words he ever spoke. And it's just going to get hard, harder. I think the first 12 verses are the warnings. The, the verses 13 through just, just right on through is, is the, the woes. <laughs> think about this. Next Sunday's Mother's Day. And my sermon is going to be on the, the woes of Christ. And then at the end, in verse 37, is the weeping. Jesus gives these harsh words with tears in his eyes as he looks over them and weeps over a people who wouldn't follow him. What a passage. I think we need to hear this voice today. And I think we need to let it shake us. I'm going to give you two things to close. These verses, and I know it's been hard. It's been harsh. It's been hard for me as I examine my own life and why I do what I do. We need to let this shake us. Hypocrisy fills our churches and nobody sees it. Hypocrisy fills churches across America and the world and nobody sees it. Nobody ever sees the hypocrisy in themselves. Do you understand that? I'm preaching this sermon today, and most of us are sitting in the pews thinking about somebody that we think is a hypocrite. And nobody is thinking, that might be me. We're so full of hypocrisy that we think we can never be the hypocrite Jesus is talking about. As I was preparing this, I kept thinking, boy, I know some hypocrites. (laughs) This will be good for them. Hope they're here this Sunday. Share this to their page. (laughs) And I had to get to the point where in my study, in my office, as I was reading, wait a second, this could be me. Hypocrites rarely ever know they're hypocrites. This might be me. I need a heart wound. When George Whitfield would preach, men would say, I felt wounded in my heart. He, He stabbed me in my heart with his words. And as I was preparing this, I thought, is this me? Let me examine me. Let it not be about you. Let it be about me. Am I the hypocrite? Am I the one that's doing this so you'll like me? Am I the one doing this so I'll get pats on the back? Am I the one that's doing this? Am I the hypocrite? Am I parading around in a suit wanting you to call me Reverend Dr. Josh Tompkins? Is that me? Am I the hypocrite? And now we have to turn that around and say, is it you? This needs to shake us. 
The world calls the church hypocrites. Let's examine ourselves. Is it me? Is it you? Is it us? So, in, And it, as it shakes us, and it should shake us to our core, we ought to all pray, every one of us in this room today, deliver me from my hypocrisy. Every one of us. God, please, don't let me be the hypocrite. I'll make it even more simple. For the kids in here, make me the real deal. That was my prayer this week. I looked at my life. I checked my heart. I checked my motivation. I checked my reasons why I do things. And I, at the end of the day, I said, God, I, it might be me. And here's what I want to pray. Make me the real deal. I want to be as I preach the real deal. I want to be as, I, as a Christian in this community. That, that it, it isn't even about what they say about me in the community. I want you to look down at me and say, that's the real deal. He's got it. He's got pure motivation from his heart. He's the real deal. They can call me whatever they want out there. And you can call me whatever you want in here. But God says He's the real deal. That's all I want. Can you say that too? Just make me the real deal. Make me a true Christian. And if we do that, if we can do that, God help me to be the real deal. To, that my words will match my walk. If you make me the real deal, then I believe that we'll get the soft voice of Jesus and not the harsh voice of Jesus. And that's the voice we want. But if we're hypocrites, that's the voice He's giving us. Woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. But if we're not hypocrites, we get, and I'll, I'll close, I, I want to end with this. My favorite passage in the entire Bible. Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What words? What words? Those are the words we want to hear and not the woes of Matthew 23. So let's all... I'm not going to give a salvation invitation today. I'm not. I'm going to give an invitation to hypocrites. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not going to ask you to come up here and confess your hypocrisy. I want you to sit in your, in your pew. Because we've, we've made coming up to the altar a show. <laughs> I like it. I love praying at the altar. But we don't want it to be a show. I'm walking up. I'm super spiritual. No, no. It's not about that. Sit in your pew. Examine your heart. Say, God, make me the real deal. Deliver me from any hypocrisy. And let me, please, do my religious activity before the eyes of God and not before the eyes of men. Let's pray. Father, I... I know this is a tough passage. There's, there's no doubt about it. This is hard to hear, and we're going to spend several weeks in this, looking at hypocrisy, examining the heart. And God, I, I pray that you would show us if there's any hypocrisy in us, if there's any sh showmanship in us, that we do things to be seen and heard, looked at, thought great, God, please examine our hearts. Please rid us of any hypocrisy. Let our walk match our words. Please.
Make us the real deal. Not so that we can be well, have a good reputation in the community and well thought of. But that we we should be right in your eyes. Because that's all that matters. So make us in this room today, please, the real deal. Rid us of any hypocrisy. Take off the mask. Please. And God, if there is anyone in here who's an unbeliever, the surest cure for hypocrisy for any of us is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that people would see the real deal in us and they'd say, I want what they have. That unbelievers would see that. And that we would be a, a, an example of what it means to be right with you. So please, God, work in our hearts. Today, tonight, as we think about these things, rid us of any hypocrisy. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.